0: What up, family? This is a sermon from the downtown congregation of Park Church. May it bless your soul as you dig deeper into God's word. More resources and info are online at parkchurch.org. Psalm 111. Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright in the congregation. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them, Full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has caused his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He provides food for those who fear him. He remembers his covenant forever. He has shown his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. He sent redemption to his people. He has commanded his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who have practiced it have good understanding. His praise endures forever.
1: Amen. Amen. Good morning. Good morning. Come on. There it is. It's good to see you all. How y'all doing? Good. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord in worship. Um, What a gift it is to gather today with the saints and worship our God. Um, For those who are watching online or those who are new here in person, uh, my name is Miguel Warren and I have the privilege uh, to be one of the pastors here. And um, I'm grateful to stand before you today and deliver his word. And so what I ask, if you would please pray for us, and then I will pray for us as well. And we will go to the throne of Jesus and sit at his feet to hear what he has to say to us today, and particularly about praise and how that is meaningful for our life. So um, let's pray. And before we do, let's just take a moment and come our hearts to know that God is real And he delights and desires to hear from his children. Amen. Let's take a moment and then I'll pray for us. And please, I ask for you to pray as well. Gracious God, I pray we never forget how gracious and merciful your word says, Your mercy endures forever. And God, I pray that as we come here today, many of us with different emotions, different bags, different bags we're carrying of life, I pray that we receive the invitation that you offer to us. And that is to come and rest in you, that we can approach the throne of grace boldly because of what Jesus has done. So Father, I pray that you Will move right now. Pour out your spirit on us. Bring life from dead places. Rejuvenate, Father. Invigorate, God. Convict, encourage, save, because your word is living and active, Lord. And I pray that we never get tired of that. And so, Lord, as we press in on what it means to pray, I pray uh, to praise you. God, I pray that you will peel back the layers of our hearts and our eyes to receive what you have to say. So, God, let them not see me merely as, a, not as an entertainer, but one standing before you, proclaiming, thus says the Lord. So hide me behind the cross, Father, and let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. And we all together said, amen. 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 Well, we are in week two of Psalms. And um, for those who are new, uh, we'd like to take a break um, from our um, kind of verse-by-verse, chapter-by-chapter study. We were in the book of Matthew, and during the summer, we uh, spend time in the Psalms. And we come to Psalm 111. This is week two. And one of the beautiful things that I love about the Psalms is that the Psalms speaks to the whole human being. It, 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 It reads the one when there's anger when there's sadness, when there's frustrations, when you're trying to wait, when it comes to praise that we will see today, it, 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 it does not go, it do, the Psalm speaks to every facet of the human being and therefore, this lets us know that God wants all of us when it comes to our life here on earth and that we can express praise to God even if life isn't what we thought it would be. And so today we come to this particular psalm, one dealing with praise. <clears throat> and it's fascinating when we talk about praise here because here's the thing. Most of the time when we talk about praise, we limit praise predicated off of how we feel. If we feel good, then we will praise. If we're sad, then eh, Maybe. God doesn't want to hear that. If it's hard, if it's dark, no. But let me revisit the word praise here. There's three words that typically describe the word praise. Just to jog our memory, the first word is yada, meaning praise, to give thanks, to confess, which is what we did just before I stood up here. We sung praises to him. We gave thanks. We had confession here. The second word, zamar, means to sing. To sing praises to him. And the third word is halal, the root word for hallelujah. Hey, that's my word. I love that. That's just so powerful. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on. Because it means means praise and honor and uh, uh, adoration to one who is worthy. And really all three of them can be contained in the idea of giving thanks and honor to God who is only worthy to be praised. Now hear me, I believe that wherever you are in, wherever you are at today in life, if it's a dark season, if it's a bleak season, if it's just a mundane season, if it's a great season, everybody, after looking through this psalm, especially if you are a believer, has reason to praise God. So this is a word that meets everybody right where it's at. Because he's worthy of it. In this psalm, this in the psalmist, who we believe is David, it speaks to what, what, what it's getting at. It is talking about how God's divine activity is on earth. How his divine activity is on earth. And David and all believers, you and me, are to praise God for his divine works being done on earth. But get this: not just what they've done on us, but that we also experience his work here on earth. And so therefore, we are all for we are to offer praise to Him. I have one point; it's really simple. The whole point of this text is that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we ought to praise God with all that we have. That's it. That's this 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 psalm is pretty straightforward. Last week, Pastor Matt preached on Psalms ten, and I you, you kind of like, all right, wait a minute. We got Machel's we'll deck, and we got shatters, and you know, some psalms can be complex and. Understand, but this psalm is very simplistic, I believe, and it speaks very clear to us. We're going to see three movements. We're going to see the posture of our praise in this psalm. We'll see the reason of our praise, but then we'll also see the practice of our praise. Let me say that again. We will have three movements. The posture of our praise, the reason of our praise, and the practice of our praise. Let's look at the first one, the posture of our praise. If you would, draw your eyes to verse 1. He starts off, and says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart in the company of the upright, in the congregation. Really, this starts off that praise the Lord is hallelujah. He's setting the tone for what is to come. He's saying hallelujah to the one who is worthy and honored to be praised. And what we will see, as he says this tone here, is that the, the, the works of God express the character of God, therefore express who God is. And so to praise God for his works is to praise God for who he is. And what we see in verse 1 is we say, we see who he prays, how we ought to praise, and where we ought to praise. Who we ought to praise is very simple. It is Yahweh. It is God himself. He says, hallelujah. He focuses on God. Notice here, his who he prays, he focuses on God, and then how he prays, he does it with his whole heart. His whole heart here, not half-heartedly. And it is my belief that the reason why that the psalmist and many of us are even able to praise God with all of our whole heart is because we are fixated on him instead of seeing the things here on earth. It's Colossians 3 where it says, set your mind on things above, not on things of this earth because I don't know about you, but things on this earth perish. The next fad comes out and we want it. But yet the reason why his whole heart is given to the Lord is because it's fixated on him and not on other things. Oftentimes, we can't praise God with the whole heart Because the remnants of our heart, the corners of our heart, the dark places of our heart One, we even think God doesn't want anything to do with us Or secondly, the reason why we can't give God our whole heart is because we're giving our heart to something else Because here's the reality, we're going to praise, you're going to praise The question is, who or what are you going to praise? So it's not a matter of, oh, well, you know, I, 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 I don't pray, I praise God only No, if there is no stagnation here on earth You're either moving towards God or away from God, one or the other. And so, hear me now, when our whole heart is not given to God, and only half of our heart is given to God, that is nothing short but idolatry here. See, because if you're a believer, and you say that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, your heart, therefore, is occupied with Jesus who sits on the throne of your heart. So if you are allowing or trying to establish or put something else on your heart instead of the creator of this world, then yes, we will be limited to worship him with our whole heart. So we praise God because of who he is with our whole heart, but then we see where. It says in the upright or in the company of the congregation. Here's what this is saying in simple form. No matter where your feet takes you, in the company of your friends, in the company of where, where your job is, in the marketplace, or even, get this, here in the congregation with other believers, there ought to be a full expression of praising God for who he is. We shall not, be, we shall not limit our praise to God predicated off of where we come. If we only praise God in the confines of these walls, then there's a problem. But it says in the upright, in the company of the congregation, which lets us know that there is something that is powerful and beautiful being done when we get to worship God together with other brothers and sisters in the faith. There's something powerful and spiritual that only takes place when we do that with one another. Let me park it here real quick, or let me say this. When we talk about praising God, we're talking about all of our life. We're not just talking about proclamation of our words. Because we will see here at the at the, uh, the third movement, the practice of our praise, there is a uh, a proclamation that needs to be practiced out. So, anywhere and everywhere your feet touch, our our, our, our life should spring hallelujah to God. It should praise Him, no matter where you go. So let's not be limited. Let's not be confined to how or when we should praise God. And so let me say this here as we move on, there needs to be times, and I'm not trying to minimize hardship, I'm not trying to minimize circumstances, but there need to be times where we just put doubt, questioning, grumbling, rebellion, we need to put that aside and praise God both with our mouth, but with our whole heart, with our lives. Oftentimes, we don't want to praise because we we want to throw a pity party because of where we're at, or because things didn't go the way that we do, but God is good And he's going to remind us here in these next eight verses and remind us on on the reason why we should praise God. So we move to our next point. We move to our next movement. The reason for our praise. The reason for our praise. We just dealt with the posture of our praise. And I submit to you today. I I, I pray that you would, one, that will posture yourself to, to worship and praise God wholeheartedly. Because we'll see that he does not limit himself for us. So why should we? limit ourselves giving all of ourselves to the one who is worthy to be praised let's go to the reason for our praise here now i don't know about you i can put reminders in my phone but i'm i'm a very forgetful person none of y'all forgetful oh yeah that's what's up y'all great come on but we got—we we need reminders on why we need to praise. And so, from verses two through nine, we're gonna in these. there, We're gonna visit a series of events that shows us and reminds us of what God has done. Because if you live life long enough. We tend to drift off and we tend to go to the right or the left when we forget to put our gaze upon him and when life doesn't go the way that we want it to go or if life is good and you think now you you done got it, right? Because we we can praise God when it's hard, but when it's on the good and on the up and up, we tend to forget him just a little bit, right? But we got the, the body, fellow members, and his word and the Holy Spirit that points us back and says, hey, let me give you reasons. Let me remind you. Let me remind you why he is worthy to be praised. So we're about to hit a series of events that's going to remind us of the goodness of God, the work that he has done, and why he is worthy to be praised. Remember, I told you before, that no matter where you are in life, especially if you are a believer, you have a reason to praise. Let's not limit our praise to God predicated off our circumstances. All right, let's look at the reasons why we ought to praise him. Look at verse 3. He says, the full of splendor and majesty is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. What we see here in verse 3, I believe it talks about encapsulates all of God's work. It says, the full of splendor and majesty is his work. Notice they're singular. In all of his work, all the things he does is under his work here. So he does many works, but it is his job here that he is displayed here. That's full of majesty. Full of splendor here. And so it does encapsulate the work of creation, his provision, and the redemption. But what it also points to, and perhaps the greatest work, because all of God's work is great, but the greatest work there was was probably that in sending his son Jesus. So again, that doesn't minimize the work that he's done, but it's the full of splendor and majesty is the work and his righteousness endures forever. Colossians chapter one, and I'll read this for you in verse 15. Hear the words here, because I believe that it encapsulates some of this of the fullness thereof of Jesus, the greatest work that there ever is that comes through Jesus, because all of it is through him and for him. Let's look what his word says. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 It says, and he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Visible, invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things, hear me? All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together, my Lord. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Verse 19, in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, my Lord. And through him reconciled to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Full of majesty and splendor are his works. And I love what it says at the end of verse 3. And it says, not only is it full of magic, but and his righteousness endures forever. That means his standard, his way of living endures forever. There's nothing that you and I can do to tweak that. We may try to lower his righteousness, his, his standards, because we want to elevate ourselves. See, it's like, it's like it. it, it, it it's like me when I was younger and I had a basketball goal in the backyard. And I told my father to come in the back because I said I could dunk. Don't y'all laugh. I know I'm short. I know I'm short, but I could dunk. And I came out and I was just yamming it. Boom, short to him. And he was like, that's good. That's good, son. He was like, but let me go ahead and raise this goal up <laughs> to, the, to the regulation, to the, to the 10 feet. And many of us do that. We take God's righteousness, his standard, we lower it so that we can elevate ourselves. But the Bible is clear. This psalm isn't about us. No, it's about him. It says, his righteousness endures forever. He doesn't lower his standard. He doesn't bend his standard. He doesn't adjust his standard. There's no flaws or no failures in who he is. It endures forever, regardless of who sits on Capitol Hill or who sits anywhere on any place throughout the world. His righteousness endures forever. All right, let's go back. We got a little bit more to go. Let's go. Let's go back to 15, Psalms 1, uh, Psalm, excuse me, Psalms 111. We see in verse four, it says, he has caused his, righteous, his, his wondrous works to be remembered. The Lord is glorious, or excuse me, gracious and merciful, What we see is that he calls his wondrous works. And what this is probably pertaining pertaining to is pointing to the Exodus experience. It's pointing to where God has done marvelous and wondrous works for the people of God when they were in bondage in Israel all the way up until they were given the promised land, up until they were given the land. But what we see here is that what's beautiful is that he calls his wondrous works to be remembered. The memory that we have, is not It's Your memory is not so sharp because you're so eloquent and your mind is so strong. No, it is because God has caused you to remember. It is the gift that he has given us because we're forgetful people. And just like God has put memorabilia in front of the people of God as they were traveling so that they can remember what he has done. So one of the first things that he done, he had them observe the Passover because the Passover reminded them of what God has done. Then he told them to put manna in a jar and put it in the temple so that they can be reminded that he provided food for them on their journey. In Joshua, God told Joshua and told the priest to take stones and to stack them up so that when children ask about what these stones represent, they will be able to say, this is God showed up where he parted the Jordan where our feet were able to walk. Because again, they went through the river, they went through uh, the exodus, but then he did it again. But also, what we see is that that's why we take the Lord's Supper. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, he says, do this in remembrance of me. Jesus was giving those instructions to his disciples before he departed. Again, he's reminding, he calls his wondrous works to be remembered. And the greatest one of all is that he's given us a letter, 66 letters of what he has done. And what I love here is that it says in his mercy endure, uh, um, excuse me, his, the Lord is gracious and merciful. Because I don't know about you real quick. We, think about it. We put things down to remember what we have done in life. Many of us put our Little League trophy up on the stand so we can remember how our great days, how good we were. Because we want to remember the good old days. But we take pictures and we do other things to remember things along the life. We, re, we journal, we write things because we want to capture those moments. We want to see what God was doing in that time. And that's what God does. He causes his wondrous works to be remembered. And I love what it says that the Lord is gracious and merciful here. The Lord is gracious and merciful here. And it is alluding to Exodus. It speaks to Exodus 34, 6, where it says, where God, in Exodus 34, God uh, immediately made a new covenant and his promise and, and continued to keep his promise with his present despite Israel's sin. So they're getting the new tablets written, um, the laws that are being recreated here. And we see that in Exodus 34, 6, it says the Lord, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love and truth. The Lord is. He didn't have to become gracious. He didn't have to become merciful. He is gracious and merciful. Before time existed, he was gracious and merciful. Yahweh has always been that. Because understand, he could not have, God didn't have to provide a way out from redemption. But he did. And he did it for Israel time and time again. And he does it for us. And the Lord is gracious and merciful because even in 2 Peter chapter 3, it talks about how the Lord is not slow to return, but no, he's giving people an opportunity to repent and turn to him. Gracious and merciful. Gracious and merciful is that while while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Gracious and merciful. He took our sins. We took his righteousness. Grace and mercy mixed together. You can't have grace without mercy. It's like peanut butter and jelly. It's like Michael Jordan and the Bulls. Come on. To have one without the other, it just ain't right. It's like Kansas City Chiefs and Pat Mahomes. You know? Come on. No. But but what we see here, though, seriously, what we see is that... And, it's, and, and, and we just confess that we see that there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. His grace and mercy, he is, he is gracious and merciful, and I don't want us to move past that. And we can praise God for that. Because understand, the memories that we have is the common grace of God in itself, too. Because we're created in his image. Human beings are here. And hear me now, in the moments of the unknown, in the rough parts of life, like I told you, we know, get this, God has given us memories to recall on what he has done. So even when life isn't good, oftentimes we have to call the character of God, we got to reflect on the goodness of who he is that can get us through the time. Because oftentimes life cripples us, it does hit us, it does knock us down, it does get hard, but God gives us memories, and he gives us the word, and he gives us brothers and sisters in the face that can remind us of his wondrous works. Because had we not have his wondrous works, oh, where would we be? I don't know about you, but it's oftentimes remembering what God has done that is able to prepare me forward when it feels like he's not present, even though he is. Okay, let's keep on. (laughs) Verse 5. He provides food for those who fear him, reverence him, his, his believers, his children. He provides food for them, and he remembers his covenant forever. Understand here. What we see in this verse is that God's provision and sustaining power is at work. It is alluding to the man of heaven that God has given the people of Israel when they were going through the wilderness. He's provided them food, physical food to give to eat. But what we also know is that it's not just the physical food, but it's also spiritual food that sustains us as well. But understand here: let's let, just—we overpass this. We, we, we skip this. God has sustained us through a pandemic that none of us has ever experienced before. Now hear me now, that doesn't take away the loss, that doesn't take away the job loss that some of us has experienced, that doesn't take away some of the pay cut that we experienced. I'm not saying that it wasn't probably hard or rough times, but here's what is very true. God has sustained us and provided for us because we are still here right now. Amen. Hear me now, okay, all right, listen, I, we intellectual people, we got to get real practical here. Many of us had food in our refrigerator, and not just our first refrigerator, but our second refrigerator. Then we had food in our deep freezer as well. That sustained us. There was a meal. Many of us didn't go without a meal. And many of us will be able to receive help from people where God has provided on the way when we did not see. He sustains and he provides and he gives provision for us here. Let us not move past that. So get this. So when you go eat your meal here shortly... When you go sit here and eat and whatever's in front of you, do you know that you are experiencing the provision and the sustaining power of God in that moment? In that meal. Things that we often take for granted. So next time you eat, take a moment and pause and say, this is God right now providing and sustaining for me until I eat again. Because when you, I don't know about you, you eat once, you get hungry again. And he provides again and again and again so understand here we got reason to praise him because he provides for us in that way but also he provides for us spiritually because jesus said man does not live on bread alone but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of god and so what that lets us know is that just as much as the food is nourishing to the body the word is nourishment to the soul, and every time we crack open the word, every time the word is read to us, every time that we, sing, uh, we read the word together here in service, or when you read it at home in your office at, or, 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 or in the quad in your office or on the bus stop or wherever you go, when you crack open that word, you are experiencing the provision and the sustaining power of God that can keep you moving forward spiritually here. Because this, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Oftentimes, we try to engage and we try to engage the spiritual with the physical, and that ain't cutting it. But He has provided for us. So let us not minimize when we open the Word. And yes, there are times that becomes difficult, and you're like, I don't know what I just read. But if anything, you can say, Look, God, what I just experienced, I can't remember. But you will have this to be remembered to me at the right time. And have you ever read times before where you read something, and then later on that week or later on that month, The Holy Spirit brings something to your remembrance when you're ministering to people. He provides and sustains you spiritually as well. So he has reason. We have reason to praise him. And I love what it says at the end of verse 5 that we have. It says he remembers his covenant forever. He remembers his covenant. He doesn't forget. We may forget. He doesn't forget his covenant because he is in the covenant. And while we are faithless, he is faithful. He's going to fulfill what he says grace and mercy there we have reason to praise him verse 6 he has shown his power to he has shown his uh, people the power of his works and giving them the inheritance of the nations what they have seen is that they have seen God defeat the the lowercase gods in Egypt and took them through the wilderness and their his powers he has shown them their powers they've seen his glorious works here And oftentimes we forget that, because not only did he show them how he was God in there, he showed them through, why he was God throughout the wilderness. They showed that his powers that was at work. He made water come from a rock when they when they were thirsty, and then he gave them the land. He gave them the land that was impossible for them to conquer without him. But get this: not only that, the Christians saw the power of the Lord when he defeated Satan, and when the grave could not contain him. Because he was too powerful. He has shown his power to his people. Get this. And he will, and he's shown us in his word, in Revelation, he's shown his power to us again because we know there was another land that is better to come. He's shown us his power here. Let me ask you this question. Where have you experienced the power of God in your life? Get this. Where do you need to experience the power of God in your life? in our church, in our city. Because hear me now, there are doors that God has opened that only he can open. There are doors that he has shut that only he has shut. His power has been on display, and oftentimes we forget it and we minimize it because we're looking for those burning bush moments. And I'm not minimizing that. Yes, those are great. But oftentimes we we need to ask God to peel back the scales of our eyes so that we can see his power at work. Do you know that the fact that he saved you was his, his power at work? We were on our way to damnation. We, he took us from darkness and put us in his marvelous light. His powers is at work. And I pray right now that God will remove the scales of our eyes. That God, that we will be able to see your work display. Show us your power in our lives. Show us your power in this church. Show us this power in this city. Father, so that we can remember and tell stories to the next generation how we saw God move mightily. In Jesus' name, Amen. Verse seven and eight. He is his works. Excuse me. The, uh, verse seven. The works of his hands are faithful and just. All his precepts are trustworthy. Verse eight. They are established forever and ever to be performed with faithfulness and uprightness. Here. When it says the works of his hands are faithful and just, they are consistent and true. There is no crookedness in his policy here. Understand this here. He is, it is faithful and it's just. They're trustworthy. There's no partiality, there's no partiality to God. His faithfulness, it is endure at all time and it's just meaning it's justice meaning he is going to establish what is right he does not show partiality to anyone and hear me now let me clear this up god has yes has done has chose the the people of god he has chose israel because he chose them not because they've done anything special that's not what i'm talking about here He called called the people of God, uh, Israel, to be holy, to be set apart, to be sanctified, to display his glory. The same way that he calls us as believers here on earth to be set apart from the world, to be in the world but not of the world, to reflect his glory here on earth. That's not what I'm talking about with impartiality here. What I'm saying is that God does not give favoritism just to people's social status. He He doesn't give favoritism. He does not partial to certain ethnic groups. It's not like God is showing these people better favor than these people better. That's not what it is. He is faithful and he is just. He is above all things and he is for all people here. So let's not act like God is showing favor to specific people. That ain't what he does. He is true to who he is and he would do it rightly, justly here. To talk about God's righteousness is talked about God's justice. You can't just the way you can't talk about God's grace without talking about His mercy. They're the same on they they on the same side of the coin. So don't think mercy is don't think justice and righteousness are separated. If you go back and look at the story, when you see righteousness very closely, you see justice, and vice versa here. But what I love here is that it is established forever in in verse eight. His precepts are trustworthy. His commands, his actions, his purpose, they are trustworthy and they are established forever. I love how this one theologian says this. This is what he says. The Lord is not swayed by, tr- by transit motives or moved by the circumstances of the hour. Immutable principles rule in the court of Jehovah and he pursues his eternal purpose without the shadow of turning. The past, the present, the future works are established. There are no alterations here, family of God, to God's instruction, to his precepts. Get this. We may renege on what we say. Oh, we renege. We may bend the rules to people who we like, who we want to give favor to. They are homeboys, our homegirls, so we're going to give them the discount. We're going to let them jump a little hoops, uh, skip some hoops that other people would do. But see, God's not like that. No. They are established forever. They are set and it's like this here. We got to be briefed on things. We miss a day of work, we all jacked up. We miss two days of work, let alone a week, we like, okay, hold on. I got to get caught up. Wait a minute. What's going on? What happened? God is not like that. He does not need to be briefed because they're already established forever. He does not need any new counsel because his precepts are established forever. <laughs> okay. God has graciously given us a phone from heaven called an iPhone. Now, the android, I don't know what it is, but it's okay. There's, there, there's room at the cross for everybody. You hear me? There's room at the cross for everybody. But no, seriously, what happens is that you get the update on your phone because it's trying to stay up with the latest trend. It's trying to keep your phone from being uh, uh, bad. It's trying to keep the, the bugs from like uh, affecting your phone. But see, God is not like that. He does not need to be updated. He does not need to have a reset button because his precepts, his words, his ways are established forever. And therefore, my God, I'm glad that we can worship and praise a God like that. Because have you ever been with someone and you go, well, hold on, you said." it. Well, you know, I know, but, or you've been on that, but God is not like that. They're established forever. And I love that. And what this is pretty much telling us is that God is the same today, yesterday, and forevermore. That's what that lesson, He's worthy to be praised here. We see here in verse 9, He sent redemption to His people. He has commanded, here it is again, He's commanded His covenant forever holy and awesome is his name understand he has sent redemption to his people he has sent when the people of god was in bondage and captivity he sent a deliverer he delivered them from there and then not only did he deliver them but over time and time again when they sit here and turn their back on him he delivers them again and then he delivers them then they turn their back again and he delivers them again and what this does us know is that it's not just a one-time delivering But the greatest redemption work that he ever sent was in Jesus. Because hear me now, hear me, had he not sent Jesus, you and I would be in trouble. Because left to our own self, we cannot fulfill the law. We're broken people. If you miss one mark of the law, you're guilty of them all. But yet, he sent Jesus. He sent the redemption work. To come, get this, and, and, and free us from the sin that encapsulates us, from the bondage of sin that holds us. And get this, and if you are a believer of Jesus Christ, hear me now. You are not in slavery and bondage of sin because you are an overcomer, because the blood of Jesus dripped over you, and therefore we can praise God for that. What seems impossible is not impossible with God. Because the Bible tells us that we, that we have the weapons of our warfare— are not of flesh, but the power of God to demolish strongholds. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 tells us, therefore, whatever you experience, and we know that we can have redemption from that. But what I love about this is that if that little word sent, that means that God got into the mess of our life, in the mess of the people. He sit here, so he came into the mess to redeem what is broken. He came into the mess to free the chains and to restore our lives. Do not think for one minute that whatever you experience, you cannot be redeemed from. He sent redemption and he comes and he continues to do it. Why? Because at the end of verse 9, he, comm- his, he commands his covenant forever. He's the one that sins. He continues to fulfill it when we don't fulfill it. And hear me now. I need, we need to take a moment. I need you to see this here. Notice the trend of this psalms and why he's worthy to be praised. Because, verse 4, he has caused. Verse 5, he provides. Verse 6, he has shown. Verse 7, he's faithful and just and trustworthy. Verse 9, he has sent. You see here, everything is about what God has done. And therefore, he is offered, he, he is to be praised with all that we have. Get this, he is able to do what the politics can't do. He's able to do what your job cannot do. Therefore, that's why I love what it says at the end of verse 9, holy and awesome is his name. That means we ought to be in awe and we ought to reverence God and pay homage to God for how awesome and how good that he is. And it's so sad that we give more honor and homage to our job than we do our God. Because our jobs cannot do what God has done. And I'm not minimizing jobs. Hear me now, family. I'm not saying that they're not good. God has given us a job. It is good for a man to work. I was just reading that in 2 uh, uh, Thessalonians. We should work, but we should not allow the things of this world to be on the throne of our heart as, act like it has prov- as, as if it has sent us redemption, as if it has shown us his power, as if it has provided us our food. Get this. He's the one that causes the food to be sent. He's the one that causes the food to be grown, that be shipped from across different states so that we can go to the market and grab them. He provides and he's worthy to be praised and let's give him that. And what we see here in verses three through nine is that we have the verticalness of what God has done. We praise God for what he has done. We praise him for that. We give him our life with that. But now what we see in verse 10 speaks to, it sums up the Psalms and it speaks to the horizontal aspect of who God is. There ought to be some practice of your life with that praise. The proclamation of your praise should be met with the proclamation of your life. He says in verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who practice it have good understanding. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord, meaning the chief, the word beginning, the beginning talks about the chief. So what this can say is that the chief of wisdom is in awe and reverence of God, which leads us to practice out, to live out his ways and his commands. We see here in verse 10 where it says that the one uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it, practice what he says, have a good understanding. Well, what is it now? Now we move here to the practice of our praise here. It's really simple. If you look at verse 2, it says great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in him. Those who study it, those who seek out his word. When you look into his word, and when you study, and if God is so good, God is so awesome, there ought to be a seeking out of who he is. Because the more that you get into his word and unearth it, the more you see how good he is. And you want more of it. It's like, it's like, it's like the favorite cooking of your grandma or your, or your husband or your spouse or your friend. You're like, oh, I need some more of that. You can't get enough of it. The practice of it, it is study. That means we seek out. Because when you seek out his word and you know what his word is, then you're able to do what verse verse 8 tells us, which is to be performed with faithfulness and upright. What God says, his way, his command ought to be practiced with faithfulness, with consistency, and with truth. We need to do what he says versus what the world says, what our friends may say. We need to be consistent in that. There is a practicing of our faith here. John 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commands. 1 Samuel 10, uh, 15, 22. Does the Lord take pleasure in burnt offerings and sacrifice as much as in obeying the Lord? Look, to obey is better than sacrifice. To pay attention is better than fat of rams. The Christian. That has really grown into maturity with the Lord is the one who obeys God's will and is not ashamed, get this, to praise Him for His wondrous works. Let the praise of our mouth be met with the praise of our action. Let us study His word. Let us do it with faithfulness and truth. Let us seek it out so that when they see us and people we can be able to ask, they go, Why do you do what you do? You say, Hey, it is nothing but the Lord. Because I don't know about you, oftentimes people get turned away from God because they interact with a Christian that is not displaying God's way in his practices. That's why it's so important here. And he wraps up here beautifully and it says, in his praise. And his praise endures forever. And his praise endures forever. And I love this here because what this lets us know is that even when the praise of man dries up and when it stops, his praise continues forever. So what this lets us know is that his praise is not predicated off your praise, but yet we get to offer praise up to him, which is his anyway. It's not our praise. It's not our glory. It's his glory. It's his party. It's his show. It's a one-act star, and we get to beautifully have a front row seat to see how his power has been shown, how he's caused us to remember, how we've seen him send redemption, how we've seen his faithfulness and his justice be true and his trustworthy and his precepts to endure forever. So let us be people, family. Let us be people. Let us be a church that prays God wholeheartedly. Wholeheartedly because of who he is and what he has done and what he is currently doing in this moment right now. Let us give him all that we have because he's worthy to be praised. Let us pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that you are good. We thank you that you've sent redemption our way. We thank you that you've shown us your power at worst. We thank you, God, that you have... Provided for us, not just physically, but also spiritually. We thank you, God, that you have caused us to remember the wonders of your word. God, we thank you that you are gracious and merciful, that you are faithful and true. God, may we never forget. May we never forget how you're worthy to be praised. And may we offer all that we have to you in your son Jesus name. Amen.